endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the land of the foe. Those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. The word of the Lord. This series is entitled Looking Good, and it's all about our perspective, how we see things, that we more and more learn to see things the way God does. And we talked last week about uh, the Good Samaritan and how the priest and Levite passed by. There was no compassion, but the Samaritan came and, and his heart felt that this was something that had to be dealt with, and so he did. And uh, these are the things that overflow from our relationship with God. And so we want to continue that as we look at another parable now in Luke chapter 15. This is the parable of the prodigal son. And in this passage, we find an account of the best Thanksgiving dinner ever. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather every Sunday and worship and praise you. We don't just do this once a year, we do this regularly because we know that uh, it's easy to get cynical, it's easy to get discouraged and depressed when we see what's happening around us, when we see what's happening even in our lives, sometimes in our families, sometimes with our health or our financial situation, or whatever. But whenever we come into your house, we, uh, we realize that the most important thing is that you are a God who loves us and is looking after us and is taking all the things that happen in our lives and making them work together, even for our good. And so we, uh, we come away from this experience with a different perspective. We see things differently. And that's what we want to continue to do, even as we look at your word today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The parables that Jesus told in Luke 15 were stories that he mentioned in response to those who are condemning him for socializing with sinners. It really upset them. To his critics, this was like a virus that threatened their safe, secure theology. Because the Pharisees had quarantined themselves from the lost. They'd put up a firewall. But Jesus came on a search and rescue mission to seek and save the lost. And here's why. Luke 15, verse 11, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property 
between them. When we studied this parable last year, we mentioned that the younger son was a victim of identity theft. But he was also a willing accomplice because he was tired of being home on the range where the skies were not cloudy all day. He wanted to be someone else. So he cashed out and set off on the adventure of finding himself in a distant land. It says in 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And of course, because money was no object, he soon became the life of the party until his first check bounced. 14, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. When his credit rating crashed, the, the bad son became so desperate, he was willing to take any job. Verse 15, so he went out and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Are you serious? What's a nice Jewish boy like you doing with a bunch of pigs? How low can you sink? 16, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Well, this was an audiovisual depiction of the condition of his soul. Unclean. Unclean. And I guess he'd found himself. And it turned out he was a hopeless case. And that's when he realized that he was the victim of a scam. An enemy had done this. Verse 17, when he came to his senses. This was the first successful case of aromatherapy. The stench of pig manure brought him to a state of sobriety. It says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. And so he began to remember who he really was. He wasn't a hopeless case because there was a way out. In fact, there always is. No matter how far you've wandered, there's always a way back home. Verse 18, I will set out and go back to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And he wasn't expecting a warm welcome. He, the bad son was willing to start at the bottom. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. And he didn't look back. At no point was he thinking, boy, I really miss those pigs. And all that flatulent fragrance. You know, temporary repentance is a disgusting thing. In fact, the most disgusting verse in the Bible talks about it. I won't even read the first part. I'll just read the second part. A sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. That's what it looks like when we repent and then we go back to the way we were. When you truly repent, you don't go back, you don't look back. The old is gone and the new has come. Verse 20, so he got up and went to his father. 
Now, why would he do that? I mean, what was he expecting? What did he think would happen? He had deeply wounded his father. In his heart, the internal bleeding had never stopped. He's got some nerve, this ungrateful runt who rejected his family's heritage, who disrespected his father, who publicly embarrassed him. Imagine the gossip. He was a traitor who thought only of himself, and now he wants to return? So he got up and went back to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. That's exactly what happened in the other parable. When the Samaritan saw the man who had been beaten, it says he was filled with compassion. How often do we feel compassion towards people in a given week? I look at a lot of people and I just think, well, I don't have to care about that. I don't have to worry about that. It's too much trouble. How often do we feel compassion? Well, as soon as the father recognized him, his heart stopped bleeding and started beating and he was filled with compassion because what you see reveals who you are. This man had never stopped being his father because he had not rejected his son, even though he brought shame upon the family. Now, he could have turned his head and pretended that he didn't see, that he didn't care. It happens. People can reach the point of no return in their relationships. The point where you just can't handle it anymore. You just can't forgive anymore. And then our heart grows cold and our eyes get dim. And we stop looking and we stop trying. And we get on with our lives because it's easier that way. When a child commits the unpardonable sin, some parents will have nothing more to do with them. I mean, think about it. This man had a rich, full life. He could have been happy with one son. All he had to do was just give up hope and stop looking and stop waiting for him to return. I have a book entitled, I Feel So Much Better Now That I've Given Up Hope. Breaking. And it's true. It's an effective anesthetic when your heart is breaking. But that never happened here. And so when the bad son approached, the father was filled with compassion. It was an instantaneous reflex. Because what you see reveals who you are. And it motivates what you do. The father had never been so grateful in all of his life. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on. And put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. He could have put that unworthy wretch on rations. Or just some warmed up hamburger helper. But they had a feast, and they celebrated, and that was a real Thanksgiving dinner, the best ever. Not because the young man deserved it, but because their relationship demanded it. Verse 24, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. 
And the celebration got so loud you could hear it for miles. Country miles. Verse 25 says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What was going on? Oh, your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. What? Are you kidding? The good son was outraged. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you killed a fattened calf for him. That's interesting. He didn't say when my brother came home. He said when this son of yours came home. You see what happened? The good son had terminated their relationship. When you walked away from us, you forfeited your place in this family. I never wanted to see you again. You're a stranger to me. I don't want to know you anymore. You may have another son, but he is not my brother. The good son was not looking good which makes it very complicated because if, the, <clears throat> if he's the bad son but the bad son is not my brother, well, what does that do to our relationship? If he's your son, then how can you be my father? That's a real identity crisis. And that's what's happened to a lot of religious people. They are somehow estranged from their heavenly father because there was a conflict within the family with a brother or sister. If he gets to go to heaven, I don't know if I want to be there. Eternity isn't big enough for the both of us. Your son is not my brother. You know, bitterness is a powerful emotion that can come to dominate our lives and determine our eternal destiny. Many people define themselves by their grudges, by the people that they avoid. And sometimes our hatred for them is stronger than our love for him. Your son is not my brother. Things were not looking good. That's what happened to the Pharisees. In their efforts to please God, they became obsessive-compulsive about legalistic righteousness to the point that 90% of their religious aimed for any devotion to God. The elder brother complained, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. His relationship with his father was all about work. He was a good servant, but not really a good son. There was never any time for joy or celebration, and there was no measure of compassion. Their hearts were not aligned at all. You see, religion is something that 
We endure, but relationships give us the opportunity to enjoy. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. See, that's exactly what the Pharisees were missing. That's why when God became flesh, they didn't even recognize him. And when he showed compassion towards sinners, they were so shocked, it was unbearable, and they wanted to kill him. And what we learn from this treachery and from this parable is that Christianity can't just be a religion. It's got to be about relationships. And when it comes to relationships, it's not, it's not just my God and I. It's actually more like, it's like uh, basic cable. When we got uh, cable, we got about a dozen channels we wanted, and about 99 channels we didn't want. I mean, who needs to watch a bunch of grown men chasing a ball, right? <laughs> who wants to see tradesmen getting rid of mold in walls? We don't need these channels. But we got them anyway because they came bundled. It was all part of the package. And that's exactly how a relationship with God works. If I have a relationship with the Father, I also have a relationship with His children, whether I want to or not. They become my brothers and sisters. Even the bad ones, especially the bad ones. You know, when I told the cable company that I only want to pay for these channels, they didn't listen. They claimed there's nothing they can do. So I can't say, you know, I'll accept uh, Chris and Horst and Jason and TP and Alfredo and Dawson and Etchell and Ryan and Gary, and then I'll just tolerate all the rest of you. It doesn't work that way. 1 John chapter 4, the verse we looked at last week, for verse 20, For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. We need to learn to look at all our brothers and sisters as automatically eligible for our compassion. They are pre-approved for forgiveness. No credit check is necessary because we're family. So we don't avoid anyone because they're too loud or they're too quiet or they're too old or they're too young or they're too rich or they're too needy or they're too proud. We don't avoid anyone because they are our brothers and sisters. So we look at them the way God does because what you see reveals who you are. And the way you relate to your brothers and sisters, especially the difficult ones, reveals the kind of relationship you have with God. That's where you can see where your relationship with God is at. If he's your son, that means he's also my brother or sister. And if we don't see that, then maybe we need to change who we are. Actually, we don't need to change who we are because we are already changed. 
We need to remember who we are. In the pig pen, the bad son remembered who he was. Out in the field, the good son had forgotten. Verse 31, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, he didn't say this son of mine, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. It wasn't just that my son came back, your brother returned also. When we remember who we are, the Holy Spirit opens our eyes so we see people the way our Heavenly Father sees them. And not just the well-behaved ones, even the ones who are still in the far country, who are still wasting their lives. We see the lost differently with new eyes. We had to celebrate Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He's lost and is now found, repented and returned, eating the best Thanksgiving dinner ever. So come on in. It won't be the same without you. Luke 15, 7 says, There is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. And you know what that means? It means that in our family, the best Thanksgiving dinner ever is still to come. And I can hardly wait. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being our Father. But we know it doesn't end there because if you're our Father, then these are our brothers and sisters. And we just can't pick and choose which ones we like to relate to and sort of ignore the rest. We need to understand that they are all our brothers and sisters. And the exciting thing is just to get to know the ones we don't know yet. And to love the ones that are hard to love. Because those are the ones, more than anyone else, who show us the kind of relationship we have with you. Because if we can't love our brother or sister that we see, how can we claim to love you who we do not see? Father, thank you for giving us the opportunity to be in a situation where there's all kinds of people that challenge us, that give us, um, make us uncomfortable sometimes, and yet we have the opportunity to love them and to see them the way you do. And every time we increase our love and compassion for others, it somehow increases our compassion for you. Help us to live those kind of lives because there is so much love 
in any given church, the only problem ever is distribution. Who is not getting enough compassion and love? Well, that's our assignment. To see them as our brother and sister and to treat them accordingly. And as we do that, we think of uh, especially those who are still in the far country. And we think of the fact that on this Thanksgiving Sunday, we can be very grateful for all the things you've given us. But the best is yet to come. So we can be even more grateful for the promises that you will keep and the way that you will restore the families that are broken, that are fractured spiritually. So we just trust you for that and we praise you for that. We exalt you and worship you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.